Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, I hope you guys had a really good week. And uh, if you're new here to this Hill City viewing experience, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this Hill City team and so grateful and honored that you chose to spend a portion of your day here, whatever day you're watching, um, here with us. We've been in this beautiful resistance series now for several weeks. And, you know, the premise is, is that we want to resist certain ways of thinking so that we can create the space and experience the beauty that God has for us. And so a lot of that has been really looking at some of the world's narratives and cultural narratives that are out there and how do we resist those things. Um, the next two weeks, it's really going to be more centered around almost resisting the way that church and Christianity has talked about um, this topic that we're going to address. I almost was thinking like maybe I should start off with a funny clip of something um, for over the next two weeks because we're going to talk about suffering. And I was like, man, I'm not going to have any jokes or any little funny little pithy sayings. But um, the next two weeks, I want to talk about suffering because, you know, when we really begin to think about what are the two most talked about things within Christianity right now, uh, it's probably sexuality. And we're going to talk about that in a couple of months, but also suffering. Like, what do we do with suffering? And so this week, I want to talk about who's God in suffering. And then next week, I want to talk about who am I or who are we in suffering. And so I know it's, it's, we're not going to answer every single question. Okay. So, uh, even what I present today, you're probably going to have more questions about, and if you do feel free to email them in, um, <clears throat> we can either, either address them, uh, on like a special little like Wednesday night gathering kind of thing online, or we can, Matt and I can do something on the podcast, the stay curious podcast. But, um, I do want to look at a couple of things here around who God is in the context of suffering because we're coming off of, or hopefully at the end of a pandemic, we are, uh, you know, had political like unrest. We had uh, all the racial conversations and upheaval and, and all the protesting and sometimes, you know, some we had violence. We had all these different things. And that was just here in America, let alone what's been happening in other parts of the world. I know we always kind of think and look through this purview of like what's right in front of us. And that makes sense. But there's just so much going on in the world and so much pain and so much suffering and so much chaos. And of course, there's always coupled with that so much good, right? Um, but there are these questions that come about when we begin to engage this topic of suffering that I think are actually uh, really important because it's a big deal. Like no one steps out, uh, you know, and is like, man, I can't wait to suffer. Uh, I really hope I get cancer this year, or I really hope we lose a baby, or I really hope I lose a job, or I really hope, you know, I get a disease or whatever. No one, no one says those things and yearns for those things, um, but there is a reality that they happen. And here's also a truth that I think we should just embrace, like suffering sucks, okay? And I know there's all these things that you can say around it, but that is a truth about it. And I think it's good to start there and to have that right at the forefront that even if as believers uh, and followers of Christ, it, we can acknowledge that sometimes things aren't good and that there's a lament and there's a grief and there's a mourning and there are things that go along with that. But when we begin to think about suffering and how we engage it uh, within the church context, and, and there's some things I think we need to resist that maybe have been put out there before. You know, for instance, uh, I've heard some folks say things like, uh, God is in control. And is that true? Yes, and in, in, in some way it is, of course. And 
But it's not helpful in this conversation when it comes to suffering, because when you just simply say God is in control, here's what starts to happen. There can be a narrative that is created that would say, well, if he's in control, then why would he let this stuff happen? If he's in control of everything, are we just like on, like a marionette, like just he's pulling these, these strings and, and we're just doing this thing? And if he's in control, then, then why did that evil stuff even happen? And so people can start to begin to think that route. If we say, well, God is in control and we leave it at that, I, I'll be honest, like sometimes that can lead to an in, 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 in action in us because we're like, well, we don't have to treat the world uh, like properly, right? We could just do whatever we want with this earth and because God is in control. And it's like, no, that's a faulty way to begin to view things. Well, there's so much, uh, people are really hungry and they're starving, like, but God is in control. Let's just pray about it. No, 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 we step into that. And I'll talk more about that next week of, of our own personal responsibility. But but this kind of, this premise of like, God is in control can lead to inaction and plus, that's not the way the Bible engages suffering. That's not the way the Bible begins to, to talk about it. I think another phrase we got to move away from is saying it's all in God's will. That falls flat when you sit with someone and they share with you about sexual abuse and to turn around and be like, well, it's a part of God's will. It isn't. Okay, and so it's important for us to then begin to frame things in the right way and, and make sure we aren't saying things that are actually uh, incredibly hurtful. Another one is, look at the good that came out of it. And is there maybe a point where someone can have that conversation around suffering? Yeah, there is. You know, when Lacey's brother passed away uh, when he was 18 years old, um, we had some people come up to us and say, like, look at all the good that came out of this. Like hundreds of kids came to, be, you know, to come to know Jesus or like really enhance their faith because of what happened. Look what God did. And were they wrong? They weren't wrong, um, but man, they could have waited a little while to say that rather than the day after. Um, and so it's important to begin to like think like, sure, like we learn things through suffering and we grow in suffering. And Hebrews talks about this discipline that's created in us through suffering. And so there are things that happen in it, but man, like think through how you begin to approach it. I also think maybe something we need to push aside when we're talking about suffering is uh, really talking about how we, how we think through this element of God's blessing and how God interacts with suffering and pain. I remember being in conversations with some people who would say things like this. Uh, look at our country and the wealth and the power it's had. Um, that is God's blessing on the country. Is that possible? Yeah, I mean, God can do whatever he wants, so anything's possible. But if we believe that, then we have to turn to the country that maybe has had a lot of suffering and pain and everything. Like, oh, there must be God's wrath because you're not being blessed with, with wealth. Yet, the opposite of both of those scenarios can also be true. Um, God's blessing can actually be to those that are on the margins. Like we, we know that God identifies with those on the margins, uh, those that are oppressed, those that uh, um, are kind of pushed off. Like throughout the entire Bible, we see that God is identifying with them and not with those that are, are in power or those that are in great wealth. And I'm not talking about wealth being bad, um, but like, but like that there's, 
but God's not identifying with that. And so isn't it interesting that we identify blessing with power and wealth as like that's what God does, but the Bible doesn't even do that. Now, could God bless someone with, with wealth or position of power? He could to those that are going to use it properly. But, but my point is, is the messages that we are sending out there in terms of suffering and pain and what people are going through can actually be way more harmful. And so when we start thinking through all this, it's like then when someone asks these questions, well, how could a good God you know, like uh, allow all this stuff to happen? Or um, if God is all powerful, why can't he stop these things? Like, they, or where was God in the midst of my pain and midst of my suffering? Those sayings that I just went through aren't helpful. And so I think we got to resist that way of thinking and begin to engage the scripture and in, in scriptures and how the Bible like kind of talks about it in a healthy way. When it comes to pain and suffering, do we know why it happens? Of and, and of course we do know why. Like that is actually one of the more simple answers, which is that in the beginning, what we see is in scripture that it was human rebellion that ushered in all of this sin, all of this chaos. And and we'll talk about you know, again that. Uh, more next week, but I want us to resist oversimplifying pain and suffering. And so that's going to be really what I'm going to kind of push into um, this this week with us. And and it and it's not easy. And it's it's actually pretty complex. It's complicated. There's a lot of gray area. There's a lot of mystery. There's a lot of things that we can't just like really put our finger on in the midst of this conversation. But I want us to be okay with that um, because if we can, then we can suffer well. And uh, we see that all throughout the Bible, people that suffered well, but there were some key components to to why they did. And one of them that I want to talk about, which is honestly, it's part of the main idea for uh, this morning, is that suffering well is a result of having trust in the character of God and the hope of the resurrection. All right, so we're approaching Easter right now too. And so the resurrection becomes a, is always a significant thing, but we're focusing so much on that um, over the next few weeks. But again, I want to say it again, suffering well is a result of having trust in the character of God and the hope of the resurrection. Recently, I was listening to this Old Testament scholar um, talk about sea monsters and behemoth am- animals and um, kind of these like these, these larger than life creatures that the Bible talks about. I was fascinated by the talk and, and I would love to actually talk more about that, but it would not be appropriate for the sermon. But um, he said something that was really interesting and he's referencing Psalm 74 and he said, hey, when, when we see in scripture, sometimes they talk about these big sea monsters or these big kind of monstrous, you know, um, animals that, that it's always associated with God being bigger than it. And these animals are always associated with like chaos. And so he's like, yeah, this chaos is a part of creation. This chaos is a part of what we deal with. But man, God is always bigger than it. And it was what, what I was like kind of taken back by was, man, we miss some of the simplicities in scripture sometimes because we're either maybe reading too fast or we don't know how to engage scripture or whatever. We don't know some of the details of it, which is normal, but we miss some of the stuff. And, um, and, and it seems like such a simple thought that like, man, there's chaos and there's feeling like, like suffering is like this big monster, right? But in what scripture, I was like, but God's always bigger than it. And you're like, man, that's so simple. But here's what else we see about scripture that I think can also make it kind of complicated, okay? And so as beautiful as that is, I started thinking about, man, but even when we look at how the Bible talks about God, it's, it's complicated. It's 
complex. We like to have like these easy sayings like, he's all powerful. Okay. He's all knowing. Okay. Um, but like the way the Bible talks about God is, is super complex. Like how about this in the creation story? So in Genesis 1, all right, in Genesis 1, it starts off with God and then it talks about him, you know, he, he creates light, he creates the land, all the waters and everything else. But it's like he is distinct. We'll just call this creation right here. All right. That God's distinct from what he's created right here. And, and so, you know, this is earth. This is, you know, everything within that. And it, but he's like separate from it. He's over it. He's like, he, you know, we see kind of this, this king kind of king mindset over it. He's like king over everything, but he's, he's also like very, very separate from it and distinct from it. Yet you go to, to Genesis 2 and then what we see is, all right, so here's, here's like a, a creation element here. And then we see like God's like intimately involved in it. And so like chapter one is like, I'm separate from it. I'm, I'm allowing humanity to do some certain things. But then in chapter two, it's like God's just like, just invested and in, he's like intimate with it. And then you go to Genesis three and it's interesting because of course, in all of these, uh, again, uh, he has humanity. We'll just do that here. And he brings it in. In Genesis chapter two, again, it's like he brings them in, but it's more like they're in here with him at that point in time. In Genesis chapter three, it's kind of interesting because we have this idea, all right, God's created this and but it's almost like he's just kind of off to the side in the story in this one. Uh, humanity is in it. All right. They're making these decisions. But honestly, they break the creation. All right. And when they break the creation, God then enters in to it with them. Okay. To, to come up with a, a solution to this. So it's interesting that in the first three chapters of the Bible, we see how complex we, that God is and understanding God, that the mysterious nature that it is from his overall creation kind of seems like separate from it, but then he's in it, but then he's kind of around it, then he comes in it. Um, he's uh, another thing in Genesis chapter three, like he is surprised, right? He's surprised by uh, the actions of Adam and Eve, and we're like, but he's all knowing, but he's surprised by their decisions. And, and then there's like, but then in Isaiah 46, it talks about him being all-knowing. And so there's all these different things that it makes it mysterious, that, that God's so big and complex and, and, and everything. So what do we hold on to uh, in the midst of this? And, and the Bible, and this is why I just don't want us to oversimplify God or oversimplify um, uh, uh, this idea of suffering, because the Bible also then speaks to, and this is like, again, like pretty interesting to me. The Bible also then speaks to like this, sometimes God causes certain things. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he comes in a miracle. Sometimes he doesn't. And it's all these different juxtapositions all the time. And when we try to make it so simple, we'll never be able to suffer well because the answers we'll put out there will always be incomplete. And so it's important then for, for us to say, why do I want to make it so simple? Why does it matter um, that it's got to be so clear and concise? And, and, and it got me thinking about this, that we want God to be simple because it feeds our comfort and control. Isn't that true? We, if God is simple to us, 
and easy to us and we can understand him, then we can control things, maybe even kind of control him. And so when we do good, we get good. When we do bad, we get bad and we think it's that easy. Or, or God will, you know, when we pray, we think God will automatically do what we think that we, we that God should do, but maybe God has a bigger plan, right? And, um, and our comfort is we don't like the fact that we don't know exactly what God will do in a scenario. We don't like the fact that we can't figure things out. So it's uncomfortable to us. We don't like the mystery of God. And it's uncomfortable. And again, we're not alone in this. This is all throughout the Bible. But I think it's important for us to begin to see some of these things. And, you know, as I was reading uh, through Exodus recently, I, I came up in Exodus chapter 34. And, and this is like a big deal when we talk about suffering because uh, it's Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7 are actually uh, the most referenced pass. It's the most referenced passage in the entire Bible. Um, people keep referring back to this passage because this is what the Lord has saying. He says, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to thousands uh, a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even the children in the, of the third and fourth generations. Now, I could do about eight sermons on this passage alone. Um, but but I, what I wanted you to see is that we're looking at the character of God right here, and it's complex, and we've got to embrace that. Um, and if we don't, we're going to miss out on how to actually suffer well. And so that's point number one in, in what I've been referencing is that we need to trust the character of God. Trust the character of God. It's critical in this. If we want to suffer well, because suffering will come to all of us. Um, even in the midst of this year of the coronavirus, it, it is a key factor to be able to trust the character of God in the midst of this. And so one of the stories that is actually um, pivotal in, and honestly, one of the more famous stories in the Bible is of this guy named Job. It's the oldest book in the Bible. And uh, in, in the story of this man named Job who, who goes through a, a lot. And so it starts in, in Job chapter 1. It says, In the land of Uz, there a, a, lived a man whose name was Job. The man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. What a great description to have. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Now, here's what happens. So Job is up there, and we're, we get this kind of vision of, of who Job is. And then it kind of pans to this story that's happening, this conversation, this heavenly conversation that's happening. And it talks about, uh, it says in there that uh, uh, the word for for Satan, like Hasatan, is is there, and um, we some people think that it's like actual Satan as we think about Satan or the devil, um, but there's also a large grouping of people who don't, because the word can also just simply mean the challenger. But what we do know is we see this heavenly conversation that's happening, and in this heavenly conversation, it's a question of, 
do people just serve you, God, because of what you do for them? Or is there something more to, to the story? And so a lot of times we, we want to see uh, why God, we read this story of Job and people are like, why would God do this? But that's not the part, point of this entire story. The point of the ti- entire story of Job is who is God and who is his character in the midst of the suffering that actually comes. That's actually the real point of the story. So we see what he says in, about Job in, in Job chapter 1 there in the first few verses. And then what ends up happening is Job has this incredible like response to the suffering that he begins to go through because, again, he starts losing a bunch of things. Then in verse 20, Job does, look how Job responds. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in what? In worship. And said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with the wrongdoing. And so we see this incredible reaction to Job. And it's like the ideal reaction because, you know, what's fascinating is when Job goes through suffering, he finds comfort and he finds strength. And his initial reaction to this emotional element is to tear his clothes, shave his head, and bow down and worship. Our initial reaction is to go to the mall, buy something to cope, right? He's tearing his outfit. We want to go buy a new one. And, um, and, I, and I get why people do all that. My, but my point is, is when going through suffering, Job's first response was not to blame God, but to worship God. And that is a key part of this. And how do you do that? Because he trusted in the character of who God is. And that became pivotal in the midst of this in terms of how Job began to engage. And so what ends up happening in the story is his friends come along the side of him. And these guys meant good, but they started saying things to Job uh, that are kind of like what I referenced earlier. Like, you know, Job, you're going through this because of something you did. Like God would never allow this to happen to someone who who was upright and had great character and integrity. God would never. He blesses those that do the right things, right? And so he's going through in these friends, and I would put that in quotes, these, these friends, instead of being good, quality, loving, caring friends, um, they instead accuse and blame and push everything on Job. And the reason that they do that is because they don't have a good view of the character of God. The reason how they do that was because they were more concerned about being right than actually loving God. I mean, loving uh, Job as a friend. And, and I would say this. Um, I've seen this too much um, over the years when people go through hard things. It's crazy how often I'll meet with these people and um, they'll say something like this to me. Man, I thought my friend grouping would show up for me here. I thought my friends would actually have my back. I thought my friends would love me. So let me just, uh, this, is a, this is just a bonus little thing here. Um, show up for your friends. If they are going through a tough situation, don't be the silent friend. Don't be the person that doesn't engage. I don't care if you don't know the right things to say. Be the friend that actually cares about what they're going through instead of being the friend and be like, well, if you didn't do this, then maybe you wouldn't go through it. Or, or, you know, chirping behind their back being like, man, you know, uh, 
I guess they, if they would have handled that better, they wouldn't have gone through this mess. Or maybe it's like, I'm just going to stay silent and like kind of stay away because I don't want to be associated with that right now because I'm not sure all the details. Like, be the friend that shows up. Be the friend that truly loves, like with genuine affection, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, that's just a bonus. That doesn't have to do about suffering. But this idea of um, suffering well is critical because here's what ends up happening. These friends... They're trying to actually cast more doubt. And when friends don't, um, when friends aren't the kind of loving friends that they should be, when someone's going through suffering, you make it worse for the person going through the suffering and pain because they think to themselves, well, maybe it is all on me. Maybe I have wronged God. Maybe I have done all of these, these things. But the friends that show up in love and comfort protect, like those are people that help them in the midst of this. Now, Job didn't have those friends. And here's what ends up happening, too, of just a reality when we go through suffering. We typically do two things, and we'll either play the blame game or we'll create an idol. And here's what I mean by that. We will blame all of these other factors that are going through the suffering. And, and rather than wrestle with and kind of embracing the tension of the suffering, we rather blame things because it's easier. It's easier to do that. Or we'll create some kind of vice, some kind of habit, some kind of way that says, I don't want to really deal with the suffering at the heart of it and engage suffering like we should. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to drink. I'm going to go out and have sex. I'm going to go out and do drugs. I'm going to go find some kind of, uh, maybe or you might even say something like this. I'm going to be like, I'm just going to concentrate on myself, like be like self-centered. And what ends up happening is that shapes your purpose and your uh, um, kind of identity in the midst of suffering. And so that's what idolatry does. And it moves you away from being able to suff suffer uh, well. And the reason we do that is because of comfort and control. Well, the story for Job actually continues on and he begins to struggle just like anyone would. He goes through so many big things. He's going through doubt. He's going through fear. He's wondering, uh, where are you, God, in the midst of all these things? And, and he's genuinely struggling. In Job chapter 38, it actually says this. Uh, Job and, and God are having this conversation and they're kind of detailing out. And, and God responds to some of Job's questions like this. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me. Like, if you understand, uh, who marked off its dimensions? Surely you would know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang and together, uh, and while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted uh, for joy? It's, it's this moment where God's like, were you actually there? Were you actually a part of this? Were you actually taking in uh, all of this from the beginning of creation? Do you really know? And what we begin to see right off the top, right, is that our, we have limited knowledge. We have limited knowledge of, of our own personal life. Like we, we, we don't know a lot of things about some of your best friends. We have limited knowledge. And, and what God is actually saying to Job is like, I need you to trust my character in this. I know you're going through a lot, but I need you to trust me in this, that I'm going to know more than you in this. I'm going to see more than you in this, that, that maybe what you're going through, I know it's horrible. I know it is, but, but maybe if you can trust my character in this, that you'll see a bigger picture in the midst of this and that you'll be able to suffer well. Sometimes God will take that suffering away. Sometimes you got to work through the entire thing. And, and so, so it's, it's this idea of like, man, if I can trust in the character of God, then it allows me to, to, to understand, okay, there's something different here. And here's what God is trying to get Job to do, to trust in his knowledge 
okay? Trust in his knowledge more than our own. More than our own. God wants us to trust in his knowledge throughout all this more than our own. He, Job has, a, another, again, another conversation uh, with God, and God respond, responds to him this way. He says, would you discredit my justice? Like, would you, the way I think about it, and I'm going to operate all this stuff, would you discredit it? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Like, play the blame game there? Do you have an arm like God's, and can your voice thunder like his? All right, then. Put on your glory and your splendor, your honor and majesty. It's like almost God is having this like, come at me, bro, kind of moment. And he's like saying, like, do you really think this much of yourself? Like, you need some perspective here. You need to trust in my knowledge more than your own. Here's um, something with that, too, that I think is just important. In times of suffering, it is interesting how much we think of ourselves and how little we think of God's character. In times of suffering, it is interesting how much we think of ourselves and how little we think of God's character. And so when we're trying to suffer well, we're trusting in God's character, but it's also important to be like, I want to trust in the knowledge that God has in this because I see that he's bigger. I see that he's, he, he knows infinitely more than I could ever possibly process or know. And yes, this stinks going through it, but I'm just going to trust him in this because I know that he knows more than me. The second thing, or I'm sorry, the third thing that I think is important that we see in this story with Job, and I'll, and I'll show that we see it actually in a lot of other places in the Bible, is, is we trust God is near. We trust that God is near. You know, he is connecting with Job in this moment. And, and I get it, during times of suffering, it doesn't feel like God is near sometimes. Um, but from beginning to end of the Bible, we see this through line that says God is near in the times of suffering. And we see it like God, as I said earlier, in creation with Adam and Eve, he enters into the suffering and says, I want to help come up with a plan to solve all of this, right? He goes to Abraham, things are kind of loose, and he's like, I'm going to invite you in, and I need you to trust me on this. I'm going to invite you into the promises. He's near Abraham. He's like, let me tell you about this promises that I have for you. It's still broken. And in the midst of the Israelites being in the wilderness and trying to turn away from God and the promises that God has given to them, he He's like, I'm going to fix this with a Messiah and this, this Savior, and that becomes Jesus. So Jesus enters in. And in the midst of this, he's like, all right, I'm going to think about the cross, right? The cross is Jesus identifying with our suffering and our pain. It's identifying with our suffering and our pain. And so the, the, this idea, every time we take communion together, right, we hold these communion elements and we say, man, this is like, an example and a reminder that, that Christ up on that cross identified with my suffering, identifies with my pain. You can't find that in any other religion or any religious belief. And so it, it sets apart even this idea of Christian thought in that in, in, the, in the end, uh, when God kind of wraps everything back up, it's this identification and clearing out all of the pain and all the evil. In Revelation, the last book of the Bible says he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes because what? He identifies with this pain and the suffering. He's near to the brokenhearted. Even when we don't feel it, he's near. It can be expressed in different ways and felt in different ways. And again, we'll talk a lot more about that next week. But God reveals himself in so many different ways to know that he is near. Even when we think about the storyline of everything, in creation, God fixes it, right? Um, at the end, God fixes everything. It's like he, there's this nearness to how he begins to um, engage the brokenness of our humanity, the brokenness that brings about suffering and pain, the brokenness that um, 
that, that like wrecks our hearts and can sometimes wreck our lives. I will say this about the cross and the resurrection. This feeds into like the hope of the resurrection, that if the cross and the resurrection aren't true, then it's all up to us. So we got to take this part in. When we see suffering and evil and injustice, if the cross and resurrection aren't true, then it's all up to us. And I don't know how you feel about humanity um, or our kind of track record in the midst of letting things be all up to us. Um, it, it actually goes worse. It, it's, it's a disaster. Like it's not even possible to take all this stuff on. And so, so trusting in the character of God, trusting in his knowledge, trusting that he is near, understanding the hope, um, understanding that the cross, that it, we're identifying in the suffering and that the hope of this resurrection becomes the answer to all of this. Our hope is not built on our strength in the midst of suffering. Our hope is actually being aware of our weakness and understanding the, the strength of God and the, the hope of the resurrection in the midst of this. Um, we can't cultivate, honestly, this, uh, we can't cultivate hope if we don't believe in the promise of the future that is, is attainable through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so here's why, I mean, again, God is more complex um, than we ever want to admit. God's more mysterious than we ever want to admit. But my my point here was not to try and solve suffering. My point wasn't try to give you every answer that you need. Um, my heart for today, my desire for today was to point you towards hope, that in God we have hope, in God that we can have trust, in the midst of our suffering and our pain and the things that we see around us, that if we keep going back to centered on Jesus, then some of this stuff will become more clear about what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to engage. And I end with this little little saying that I wrote down this week. It's that God's character is the same in our celebrations uh, and in our sufferings. That God's character is the same in our celebrations and in our sufferings. And so God loves us so much. He loves you so much. They sent his son to die on a cross and, and all that. And in and that's part of this me- is the message of the gospel. And Jesus' death on that cross is everything. His resurrection is everything. And it doesn't cure all the suffering in this world. But what it does is it allows us to understand the future that will someday be. And that future is hopeful. That future allows us to take on um, some awful times in our lives and say, you know what? This is horrible what I'm going through. This is evil what I'm going through. This is not a part of what God desires for my life. But I know because of his victory over pain and evil and sin that in the end, someday this is all going to be cured. In the end, I will be made whole. In the end, all of this stuff will go away. And in the end, I will stand in victory along with the rest of God's people. That's a message of hope that allows us to suffer well, that allows us to step into hard times and say, okay, instead of trying to find some type of vice or blame or whatever, I am going to bow down and I'm going to worship. I'm going to trust in the character of God. I'm going to trust that he is near and I'm going to trust that he knows all. Let's pray. God, there's a lot that goes into talking about suffering and pain and um But again, today my desire was that we would have hope coming out of this, that we would begin to see a different picture, that we would begin to um, 
really grasp on and what it could mean to suffer well. And so um, if we haven't gone through times of great suffering, we know that at some point in our lives, we, we probably will. And so God, in the midst of it, I hope that this, just is get, this will get ingrained in us, the hope of your res- resurrection, the trust in your character of who you are. And even when it's complicated, even when um, it's longer than we want it to be, or harder than we could ever imagine. That we trust you in it, we suffer well in it. And, um, and God, I just pray also for like the community of people around it. And we're gonna really talk about this more um, next week, but the, the community of, of what we build here, um, we suffer well together because of your great love for us. So God, we just thank you for the hope we have in you. In your name we pray, amen.